0: Well, if you would all open up to Mark chapter ten, we're going to look at Mark chapter ten verses thirty-two to to forty-five, and this uh, I titled the message "Servant Leadership." We want to be uh, godly leaders, and I think that the the days that are ahead, are, the need for godly leaders is going to be much greater than at probably any other time in the in recent history, and so we're going to want to be the kind of leaders that God wants us to be. So Mark chapter 10, 32 to 45, and as you turn there, we'll go to the Lord in in prayer one more time that he anoints the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, for all those who are here, and they came here to hear your word preached, to hear your word proclaimed. And so I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would cancel the man, that you would anoint me with your spirit so I would not lead anyone astray. Um, I pray that uh, you would prevent me from leading anyone astray, but that you would anoint me to understand and to proclaim your truth to those who are here. I pray that you'd open hearts and minds to receive truth from your word and empower us by your Holy Spirit to apply these truths to our lives. Help us to be servant leaders. I know, Lord, as the senior pastor of this church, I'm not, I'm not as good of a leader and as organized as I should be and whatever it may be, but I just pray, Lord, that you give me a servant's heart and you give all of us servant hearts so that we would not be power leaders, but that we would be servant leaders. And um, I pray, Lord, during this uh, Christmas season that we would focus on your son who became a man to die on the cross for our sins, and you rose him from the dead to conquer death for us. To Jesus be all the glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So servant uh, leadership. uh, What we're going to look at is a passage that talks about what kind of leaders God wants us to be. And it's not just like the pastoral staff. We're all called to lead to one degree or another. Okay? And so this is a passage that we all need to apply. And uh, But we want to be servant leaders, the kind of leaders that God called us to be. Now I'm going to start in verse 32 because 32 to 34 give us the context here. So look at Mark 10 verses 32 through 34. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Now if you look at a map, it looks like they're going down. They're going south to Jerusalem, but it's uphill. And that's what they cared about back then. Yeah, Jerusalem is on top of four small mountains. And so as you go into Jerusalem, you're walking uphill. Now, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Okay, they are afraid and amazed. Why? Well, they were amazed at uh, the passion that he had and at the pace that he was keeping, in the Greek, it, it implies they were having a hard time keeping up with him. But they were amazed at his dedication to his mission, yet they knew that the Jewish religious leaders had a death warrant out for him. So it's kind of like, he goes to Jerusalem, the Jewish religious leaders are going to try to have him killed, but he doesn't care. He's a man on a mission. And so that That amazed them, but it made them afraid as well. And by the way, each village that he's going to, I would not be surprised because they're looking, the Jews are looking for a military conquering Messiah, which will happen when Jesus returns. When all nations invade Israel, Jesus is going to return and uh, is going to win the battle of Armageddon. Uh, But they were expecting that to happen back then. So they wanted a military conquering Messiah. They weren't looking for... A Messiah to die at the hands of the pagan Romans, the Gentiles, and be crucified in the most shameful way they were they were patriotic Jews they wanted to see messiah conquer and uh, and so they think they're going into the Battle of uh, of Armageddon here, and so Jesus realized that their their focus is all off. This is going to be the third time that we know of that the Gospels record. Where Jesus told them, "Look, I'm going to Jerusalem to die." Okay, and uh, and so then he took the twelve aside again, and so I wouldn't be surprised if each village you're going through, a few more people get behind him. So by the time he has his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and the gates open, and he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, as it was prophesied about 500 years earlier by Zechariah chapter nine verse nine. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if people heard the crowd behind Jesus and then the tens of thousands who were already in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover turned and looked, and they saw the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Now keep in mind, that's the way Jesus uh, came out and let everybody know, yes, I am the Messiah. It's like this guy's raising the dead, He's given sight to the blind. The deaf here, okay? When is he going to tell us he's the Messiah? But he knew if he called himself the Messiah in public, they would have thought military conqueror. So instead he called himself the Son of Man from a passage in Daniel 7, which the Jewish scholars couldn't make heads or tails out of. The Son of Man, what does that mean? Well, allow Jesus to define his own ministry, okay? But they were looking for that... Conquering, military conquering Messiah, yet the first time he came, he came to suffer and die for our sins. Verse 33, so, so he takes the 12 aside and begins to tell them the things that would happen to him. He's like, he's like guys, you, you don't understand what's going to go on. I'm not going there to win the battle of Armageddon. That's not till much later. So he tells them this. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, that's his favorite title for himself, his self-designation. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, the Jewish religious leaders, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, the Pontius Pilate and the Romans. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. And so he tells the apostles, this is the third time he told the apostles that he is going to die and then rise from the dead. But, you know, these guys are thinking, you know, we're going and Jesus is going to take power and take control. Uh, Well, Jesus said, no, no, I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be spat upon and I'm going to be killed. You know, they're looking for glory. Jesus says, look, I'm going to suffer right now. But then he says, and the third day, the Son of Man will rise again. Okay? And uh, now you think that this would make this clear. Now, Why didn't anybody understand when Jesus said he was going to die? Well, some people did understand when he said he was going to die. There are quite a few ladies so many that we confuse who's who, ladies that anointed his feet with expensive perfume and uh, wiped his feet with their tears and with their hair, preparing him, anointing him for his burial. So some of the ladies got the memo and said, oh yeah, when he says he's going to suffer and die, that's because he's going to suffer and die. The apostles are thinking, no, it's got to be a metaphor for something else because the Messiah is going to, going to conquer one of the apostles got it one of the apostles said oh he's going to go and suffer and die i don't believe his resurrection part but he's going to suffer and die that means that all the time i invested in jesus to get political power in the jewish religious community that's going down the tubes i need to make a deal with the jewish religious leaders because I think there's going to be a big shift in power that guy's name was Judas Iscariot, but the other the eleven faithful apostles they, they they're, they're they're not thinking that Jesus is going to die, no matter how many times he tells them, okay, you see this on the night he was betrayed in John chapters fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. eventually the apostles say, "Oh, now we understand that you're speaking to us literally, not figuratively, but even there they still thought that all this talk of his death was figurative. So in route to Jerusalem, he tells the apostles he will die and rise. Verses 35 to 37, James and John, he calls them the sons of thunder. Because if you rejected the if people rejected Jesus, they'd say, Hey, just command us to order fire to come down from heaven to strike him dead. And so Jesus referred to these two guys. John was probably only a teenager. James might not have been much older than that. But, um, but the sons of thunder, you know, by the time John late in life, all he read first, second and third, John, all he wants to talk about is love. God's still in the business of taking sons of thunder and daughters of thunder and telling, turning them into people of love. And, uh, but they make a request, verses 35 to 37. Then James and John, so it's like, oh yeah, okay, whatever, you're gonna die, whatever. Okay. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit on your right hand and on the other, and the other on your left in your glory. Okay. So Jesus just said, Look, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and die. And guess what? Uh They ignored it. They ignored what he said. It's like, look, we can't understand all the symbolism and the figurative speech. All we know is Messiah is going to be a military conquering Messiah. And now that you're coming into your kingdom, there's going to be this showdown between you and the Jewish religious leaders. You know, it's it's right around this time where he raises Lazarus from the dead. Okay? Pick up a, a, a gospel... Um, uh, parallel Gospels where you could tell, where they list them side by side and you could tell when, it, when exactly that occurred But and he's going to go visit Lazarus again in Bethany on his way to Jerusalem he's, he's raised the dead, I mean he has performed such miracles, they figure look the Jewish religious leaders are going to butt heads with Jesus but Jesus is going to win, he's going to conquer and uh, so they just ignored what he was saying uh, about dying, they wanted the highest positions in jesus kingdom to sit on his right and on his left you know there's there 's guys who still do that today they come into the ministry they want to be a pastor because they want the power they want the uh you know they don 't want to stay up hours late at night counseling hurting people they don 't want to study for hours they don 't want uh the difficulty of trying to figure out how can I minister to all these people when there's not enough time in the day? When do you squeeze in sleep? They don't, they're not thinking about the servant side of leadership. They're just thinking about, man, I want to be in control. And there's still people, even in the church, that are like that to this day. They wanted the highest positions in Jesus' kingdom because they thought Jesus was going to Jerusalem to conquer and reign, even though Jesus told them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Now, I'm telling you, you know, Jesus said that the, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He wants to recruit you to be workers in his kingdom, but he's called you to suffering. The glory comes later. Don't be looking for the glory here and now. The glory comes later. Now we're to carry our crosses. Now, you know, and these are tough guys, the, the apostles. They probably looked like a biker gang. Uh, they didn't look like theologians and stuff like that. They were fishermen. They were tough guys and all. But they, were, you know, John was probably only a teenager. James wasn't much older. But it's actually worse than this. You know, Jesus saying, look, I'm going to suffer and die. You're like, well, yeah, whatever. Now that you're coming into your kingdom, can we sit on your right and your left in power? Okay, it's even worse than this. You go to Matthew 20, we don't have time to look there, but if you, go to, if you were to go to Matthew 20 later on, and look at verses 20 and 21, technically, they were there, but it was their mother who was asking for them. So it's kind of like, we want to be the big, powerful leaders in the kingdom of God now that it is coming to earth. We want to rule over the millions back then. Now it would be billions. And um, so, Mommy, can you go ask Jesus for us? And, um, and uh, so it's kind of this. I'm telling you, if the Bible is, a, is just a 66 books of lies, you don't include stuff like this. Okay? Because the guys that portray themselves as idiots... Over and over again, those are the leaders of the early church. They're saying, hey, follow us as we follow Jesus. Wait a minute, you know, they would tell Peter, wait a minute, you just told us you denied him three times on the, 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 the roughest night of your life. What makes you us think you're not going to bail out on us later on? This is the kind, this is a, it's called the principle of embarrassment, New Testament critics. If you include embarrassing details about yourself and you're starting to start a religious movement, you're probably telling the truth. Okay? And so even skeptics that don't believe like we do that the entire Bible is the word of God without error, even they accept passages like this. Because when the authors are making themselves look like buffoons, they're probably telling the truth. It's, it's like a used car salesman telling telling you, Well, yeah, you know, I would like it if you'd buy this car, but it wasn't two rollover accidents. Okay, he's probably not making that up. Okay, he wants to make a sale. He's just an honest guy, as the apostles were honest um, authors. But here they were, you know, we're, we're the tough guys. You nicknamed us the sons of thunder. So we got something to ask you, Jesus. Okay, what is it? Okay, mommy? And then the, then mommy comes over and makes the request. And um, now before we get too hard on them, listen to Jesus' response, verses 38 and 39. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. You know, Jesus is saying, uh, you guys, you weren't listening to me? Will you let it go anywhere and out one ear and out the other? You don't even know what you're asking for. You see, Jesus is saying, James and John, I love you guys. But the guy on my right and the guy on my left, they're not going to be on thrones. They're going to be on crosses. Think about what you ask for. It's like when I pray for humility, man, God shows me all the ugly stuff in my life. And it hurts. I take breaks from praying for humility. And uh, I wait till I kind of emotionally heal and then I pray some more. And, um, but Jesus is like, man, you guys, you don't even know what you're asking for. Guys, right now, what I'm going to do the guy on my left and on my right, they're going to be nailed to crosses. So Jesus said, you do not know what you ask. A lot of times when we pray, we don't know what we're asking for. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I'm just saying, Lord, I just need a car to go from point A to point B to go to work. And, you know, 2022 Corvette sounds nice. You know, it's like, we don't even know what we're asking for. We, might, we think, we think I just, I'm asking for what I need. And God's saying, no, you're not. You're asking for your new idol. Something that you're going to love more than you love me. And it's going to bring you down. Okay? And and so, but he tells them, you don't know uh, what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Okay? And so Jesus is basically saying, look... um, You guys don't know what you're asking for. You want to be great in my kingdom? That means your suffering is going to be great. Uh, Are you willing to drink of the cup of suffering that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism of suffering and death that I'm going to be baptized with? You guys think you're asking for glory, wealth, and honor. you go down my path, you travel with me. It's a path of suffering, a path of pain, a path of death. And uh, so Jesus was going to be baptized uh, with suffering and death. And then, um, and they, verse 39, they said to him, we are able. They don't even know what they're saying, but they say, we are able. You know, another whatever you're going to go through, Jesus, we're able. And so Jesus said to them, now, now, now just think about this. Place yourself in their shoes. Let's say if you're standing, you're saying, Jesus, I want to be with you by your side, no matter what happens. And Jesus says, Are you willing to drink of the cup of suffering, be baptized with the baptism of death? And if you said Uh, we are able. Would Jesus laugh, shake his head, and walk away? Or would he respond the way he did to James and John? So yes, James and John have proven themselves to be idiots, okay, but they're tough idiots. They're brave idiots. They're willing to suffer for Jesus. Throughout my life, I proved myself to be not the smartest guy on the planet on a pretty regular basis. But that's all right. That's all right. My God's got all the knowledge, so, you know, it's all right. I don't have to be the most brilliant guy on the planet. But am I brave, courageous, and willing to suffer for the one who died for me? But they, they told Jesus, we are able... And so Jesus said to them, listen how Jesus responded, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. Jesus looked at them and and thought for a minute, you know what? You know, maybe God the Father gave him a little insight into the future because Jesus wasn't tapping into his own omniscience. He voluntarily chose not to tap into certain divine powers while on earth and just depended on the Father and the Holy Spirit to, to guide him and lead him and empower him. But maybe God the Father gave him a little glimpse that the first of the apostles to die would be James, the son of Jezebedee. He'd be beheaded by Herod. And then John, John may have been the only apostle to not die a martyr's death. We're not sure. Okay? We do know that he lived on into old age. We do know that he was battered, beaten, in prison. There's even a story of him being thrown into this big container of boiling oil and his body just shot right out unharmed. That's what church tradition tells us. Was that true or not? I don't know. I'll find out when I get to heaven. I'll ask him. But we do know that he was exiled that's so when he wrote the book of Revelation. We do know that he had a life of suffering. And it's interesting, too, is the only apostle who might not have been martyred, who might not have died for his faith, was the only apostle that followed Jesus all the way to the cross. He was willing to go to the cross with Jesus and risk his life, and maybe, maybe God spared him a martyr's death. We don't know. But Jesus could look at James and John, sons of thunder, He could say, you know, I'm going to turn you guys into sons of love. And yes, you're going to be willing to drink the cup of suffering. You're going to be willing to be baptized with the baptism of suffering and death. And so Jesus' response to them is, uh, is really amazing that he looked at them and he said, you know what, you guys are going to serve me right up until... The very end. Now look what Jesus says in verse 40. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. Um, Now Matthew 20, the parallel passage, Matthew 20, verse 23, we find out who does um, point out who's going to appoint those to sit on his right and left hand. It's God the Father. So Jesus is saying, that's God the Father's business. That's not my... Uh, responsibility. Sometimes somebody will sometimes somebody will come to me and um, say that they want a uh, certain song played. Could praise and worship team play this other song next Sunday? It's not, it's not my job. I tell them, go talk to Chris. He decides what the songs we going to play. We delegated that authority to him. He's been faithful at that. So talk to him. And that's what Jesus is saying. He said, look, the way the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have distrib- distributed the, the work of saving mankind, that's the Father's call. He's the turn. I don't know. Who's going to sit his right and left hand? I don't know. I mean, Moses and Elijah were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. I can think of lots of candidates. Okay, The book of Ezekiel says David's going to rule over Jerusalem during the Millennial Kingdom. Um, The apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones over the 12 tribes of Israel. That's God's business, okay? The Bible promises us crowns. The Bible promises us thrones, okay? But that's not our job. I'll leave it to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They can distribute the crowns and the thrones as they desire. It's my job and it's your job to carry a cross, Okay, and uh, and John and James weren't ready for that message right there, but they were going to be ready for it shortly, and they went through lives of suffering for the cause of the gospel, Uh, but Jesus says that it's, it's God the Father who will distribute positions in his coming kingdom now verse 41, and when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John Okay, now, again, the principle of embarrassment, because you would think they got this because they say, how dare you even care about positions of honor? We should be humble servants of the Lord. We don't care about power and glory and, and honor. We just want to serve the Lord. So you would think they would be angry about that, but the way Jesus responds to them in the verses after that, You know, what got them angry, they wanted to be in charge. They wanted to be in power. They wanted those positions. So they're all upset, like, man, look at this. Two sons of Zebedee going around our back and asking Jesus for two positions, and one of them is going to obviously be mine. Okay? And so they're just as bad as James and John here. So it's all the... This is why, just what, a few days later... Jesus undresses down to his underwear like a, like a slave and washes their feet. Tells them, you got you to serve. You, use the gifts that God's given you, but you got to use those gifts to serve others. Okay? It's the only kind of leader God acknowledges in his kingdom, and those are servant leaders. And, uh, and so the, the other ten... Heard it, they began to uh, to be greatly displeased with James and John. So they got angry because they also wanted to be in charge. They wanted uh, the power. And so verses forty two to forty five. But Jesus called them to Himself and said to them, "You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, the non Jews, the pagans, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them." And their great ones exercise authority over them. So, in other words, pagans, the pagans are into power leadership. Okay? I'm gonna step on people to get to the top. Sometimes we see political leaders making decisions that time and time again hurt us, American citizens. Why would they make that decision? And we start saying, Man, they must be really stupid. Let me tell you, if they know how to win elections, they're not stupid. They know the consequences um, of their decisions. Some of our leaders are not, in fact, I would say most of our leaders are not servant leaders. They're power leaders. Don't ask yourself, why did they make that decision? Maybe they didn't know that it was going to hurt us. Ask yourself, what kind of power did they get out of making a decision that hurt us. We have leaders that, you know, I'm telling you, the only reason why you should, we should even have human government, number one, mankind's got to be worth protecting. That's because we were created in God's image, the doctrine of creation. But then mankind needs protecting. Mankind is fallen and sinful. So we need to be protected from other human beings, so God instituted human government, delegated his authority to punish evildoers to human government. But then of course, human government is headed by fallen sinful humans, so you need to greatly limit the power of these sinful human leaders. That's where the Constitution, the separation of power of separation of powers, checks and balances, uh, the power of the federal government, with the, the sovereignty of the state governments. That's where that all comes into play. But there are some politicians that they don't care. they don't believe in the doctrine of creation. They don't believe all men are created equal. They don't believe that we've been given inalienable rights by God, rights that are God-given and cannot be taken away from us, rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So they don't believe in God, they don't believe in creation. They don't believe in the doctrine of the fall that all of mankind is sinful. So what other reason would there be for them to get involved in human government except power and personal advancement? And, um, and so the, the apostles were thinking along those lines. Yeah, I want to be part of this because I want the power. Okay? And, um, and Jesus makes it very, very clear that, look, we're not like the pagans. We don't step on people to get to the top. Okay, and In God's kingdom, we are not to be into power leadership. We lead by serving others. So verse 43, yet it shall not be so, Jesus says, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Verse 44, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Okay? You want to be great in God's kingdom, you want to be first in God's kingdom, you must become the servant of all. Believers lead by serving others. See, the biblical model for leadership, biblical leadership is not determined by how many people you control. Let me repeat that. You know, and again, you might be sitting there out there thinking, well, I don't want to be a pastor or any type of a leader, uh, so this sermon's not even for me. No, God's called us all to be leaders. Some of the greatest leaders that Trinity Bible Fellowship had over the years were guys that I tried to encourage them to get into the ministry, and they had big families, and they said, no, God, God just wants me to work hard, take care of my family, and I disciple and pastor you know, my wife and my eight kids. And um, so uh, biblical leadership is not determined by how many people you control, it's determined by how many people you serve and the quality of that service. And we repeat that. Biblical leadership is not determined by how many people you control, it's determined by how many people you serve and the quality of that service. By the way, I'm finding out, I've been pastoring now for almost 34 years, and I'm still finding out um, that the quality of my service goes down tremendously if I spread myself too thin and if I don't delegate leadership to others. It's my job to train everybody here for leadership. It's not my job or the other elder's job to do all the ministering. Ministering equals people. Ministry is service. And what do you, you don't, you don't serve trees, you serve human beings, you serve people. And, um, but I found that, you know, if I try, if I have too many people depending on me, and i spread myself too thin and people get a smaller and smaller slice of me as time goes on eventually you know i had that you know brain shutdown brain circuitry shutdown they thought was a stroke um but eventually i'm really being of no good to the people i'm trying to serve and so it's my job to equip others and their job to equip others and their job to equip others and uh and so uh, biblical leadership is not determined by how many people you control. It's determined by how many people you serve and the quality of that service. Also, what you got to find out is where, when you serve people, okay? Don, if your car breaks down and you tell me, I'm not going to show up to fix it tonight, and you're going to praise God that I didn't show up to fix it, okay? So, when you serve others, you serve others. By, by the way, if, uh, if Chuck, I don't think Chuck's here, if Chuck wants to show up to work on your car and he wants me to go on a coffee run for him, I could do that, okay? Um, but basically, serving leadership, you serve others with the gifts God has given you. You know? I'm sure we've all heard the expression, stay in your own lane, bro, okay? Okay? Uh, you don't want, there, there's things Cedric could do, okay? You don't want me doing repairs on your house, okay? Um, um, you know, I, I'm not gifted in areas where other people are gifted at, okay? So use the gifts that God has given you sir serve Because I was thinking, Jesus was a servant leader. Guess what the servant leader said to Peter once? Get behind me, Satan. Do you realize he was serving Peter at that point? When he was correcting him and letting him know, you're not speaking words from God right now. You're speaking words from the other side. So we've got to be very careful. Sometimes when we're serving others with the gifts God has given us, the world might not recognize that as service. Okay? But whatever gifts God has given you, and by the way, just start serving people. You'll find out real quick which gifts you have and which gifts you don't have. Okay? And, um, um, you know, we were out here setting I was holding a ladder for people. You know, coffee runs is a big thing and work parties uh, and stuff like that. They used to call me double work when I worked in landscaping. Not because I did double work, but I created double work. And um, there was one time I actually, we were supposed to take a mound of dirt and move it to another side. And, uh, and the guy said, just care, what am I supposed to do? Just care with them? And I didn't even realize that I was one guy too far and was refilling the pile that they had <laughs> emptied out. That's when I got my nickname, Double Work. But, um, and so, uh, if God hasn't called you to be a pastor, don't, don't, don't be a pastor But God has called you to lead in some way, shape, or form, okay? But you lead by serving, by using the gifts that God has given you to serve others. And uh, now, who set the example? Verse 45, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man, that's himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Even the Son of Man, even Jesus did not come to be served. He was being served in heaven. He had billions of angels bowing before him. He didn't come to earth to be served, but he came to serve us, to meet our needs and give his life a ransom, to pay the price, the ransom price for our sins. And um, and we've got to be that same way. I mean, it amazes me too. The first 30 years of Jesus' life, you know what he did? He learned the trade of his stepfather, became a carpenter, which back then there's not a whole lot of trees in Israel, so he was probably working more with stone and um, probably getting pretty buff doing it. Um, But he studied the scriptures and grew in his wisdom and knowledge of the scriptures, and eventually the time came um, for him uh, to begin his three-and-a-half-year ministry but he came to earth uh, to die for us. Now, how did Jesus set the example for us? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We want to be servant leaders. Well, look at Philippians. We'll be looking, getting into Philippians uh, come January. Um, But in Philippians chapter 2, Paul wants us to be united, wants believers to be united. He talks about that in the first two verses of Philippians chapter 2, okay? Then starting at verse 3, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, okay? But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Do you esteem other people? your brothers and sisters in the Lord, better than you. Um, That's what Paul commands us to do. Do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And then he gives us an example. Now keep in mind... Jesus did not die on the cross to set a good example for us. That's not the main reason. He died on the cross to be a substitute sacrifice for our sins. Because all sin, even the, even the smallest sin, is rebellion against God, the ultimately worthy being. So even the smallest sin makes us deserving of the ultimate of, in punishment, which is eternal separation from God, eternal separation from joy, uh, the flames of hell. So, But if there's going to be a substitute sacrifice, the substitute sacrifice has to be ultimately worthy, has to be God. But in order to, to be a sacrifice, you've got to be able to die. So God the Son, in order to represent man and to die for man, God the Son had to become a man and die on the cross for our sins. The main reason why Jesus died on the cross was to save us for, from our sins, to pay, take the punishment for us. A secondary reason he came to defeat the works of Satan. Colossians chapter 2 talks about that. Uh, but there's also things we can, other uh, things that we can draw from it. And what Paul's doing here in Philippians chapter 2, he's saying that Jesus did set an example for, on the cro- uh, for us on the cross. We can't save ourselves by following Jesus' example, but if we trust in Jesus, his death and resurrection, we trust in him for salvation, he saves us, we get dwell with the Holy Spirit and get empowered to obey God from the heart, and then we're supposed to follow Jesus' example. And so what is that example? He says, let this mind, Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, now you, you look earlier, it said, get rid of selfish amb- ambition, Okay? Um, selfish ambition, if we all came to church with selfish ambition, that means we came to church with a whole bunch of different agendas. Everybody's got their own agenda. If you're going to have unity, you've got to share the same agenda. Paul tells us what that agenda is it's the kingdom of God. Here he calls it uh, have the same mind, the same attitude, the same agenda. That Jesus had. If we walk in through those doors and come in with the mind of Christ in our own minds, lowliness of mind, so we put on the mind of Christ, His agenda, not our agenda, then we can be united in Christ. And uh, and and so uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what was Jesus' attitude? Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so what that's telling us is that even though Jesus continues to exist in nature as God... Jesus did not cease to be God by becoming a man. Uh, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is a divine person. He added a human nature without subtracting from his divine nature. So even though he continues to exist as God the Son, he added a human nature by becoming a man. Okay, That's humiliating in itself. I mean, if a human being became a slug, that would be humiliation. But when the infinitely worthy God became one of us, that's humiliation uh, in itself. But he didn't stop there. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even more and became obedient to the point of death. So it's like, wait, so God the Son leaves the throne room of God where he's worshipped and, and served daily. He humiliates himself, the divine humiliation, by becoming one of us and then even goes so far to humble himself to the point of dying. But it goes one step further than that. Obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I'm really glad when Mel Gibson or anybody else makes a movie about Jesus, they have the Roman soldiers making sure that Jesus' underwear is still on him when he's nailed to the cross. The fact of the matter is, when they crucified you, not only was it horrific, horrible suffering, it was supposed to be total shame and humiliation. So I think it's much more likely that they nailed guys naked to the cross shame them as much as possible. Even in the Old Testament with they used to stone people to death, they said, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So after you had stoned someone to death, you would then hang them on a tree, the dead body, to show others, don't do what he did. The Romans said, well, we'll, we'll crucify a guy. It'll take him, if not hours, it might even take days for some, some guys to die on the cross. Of course, Jesus was viciously scourged before he went to Calvary, was on the cross for six hours. And, um, but that's the most shameful way to die. And so, so the, the apostles are thinking Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for the glory, he's going to rule. And Jesus is saying, No, I got a whole lot of shame and humiliation waiting for me in Jerusalem. Okay? You know well, let me tell you we're all on the path we're all on Jesus was on the road to Jerusalem. we're on the road to the New Jerusalem, okay, but before the new jerusalem we we got Calvary ourselves. God never promised us trust in him for salvation. you'll be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. you'll live a real comfortable life, okay you know. I think things are getting real bad in America without widespread repentance and revival, without the miraculous work of God, America is going down. Okay? Um, That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is the American church is entering into an age of normalcy. We're going to get to experience what the church has experienced for 2,000 years throughout the world. The normal existence for Christians... You get persecuted. You get beat up on. We've been so spoiled here, um, but I'm, I'm telling you, I think that there's a really good chance we're all in our own way, en route to the old Jerusalem, the Calvary. Are you willing to drink that cup? And be baptized with the baptism, suffering and death. Um, and so this is the divine humiliation. Jesus was willing to suffer for us. He led us by serving us and suffering for us. That's the kind of leaders we need to be. Now, verses 9 to 11 is the divine exaltation. Five to eight, the divine humiliation. Jesus lowered himself, humbled himself, and then God the Father raised him up and exalted him. Therefore, because of what Jesus did, therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, that's not the name of Buddha, that's not the name of Muhammad or Gandhi, okay, um, it's not the name of Biden or Trump. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, is Lord, is Yahweh. Is koryos there in the Greek, but it's Yahweh. You compare this passage to Isaiah 45, I think it's verse twenty two or twenty three right in there, every knee is going to bow before Yahweh. In the last day Jesus is Yahweh. He is he is God. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus set the example for us. Look at James four ten. James four ten. And James says this, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It's our job to humble ourselves before God. It's his job to lift us up and to exalt us. Just as God the Son, when he became a man, he humbled himself in the Father's sight. He took our punishment for us. He died a shameful death. Okay? and then God exalted him to the highest place in creation. Jesus is not only the Creator by becoming a man; he's also part of the creation. And now he is the firstborn, the firstborn son with the right to rule over all creation. And the Bible says he's coming back to take that rule. And uh, a lot of people um, deny that. Um, but um, a couple things, more things, I want to point out in closing. Uh, we don't have time to turn there. You might want to just write down Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. God gave the church, Paul tells us, apostles and prophets during that early period, and then to this day, pastor, teachers, and evangelists, people who share the faith with others. Does Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 say that God did that so that they would do all the service and ministry? No. He says that God did that, gave those gifts to the church to equip the saints for service. Okay? This, everybody in this church is supposed to be a spiritual warrior and a spiritual leader. It's not my job. It's not John's job. It's not our job to do your ministry for you, but to train you for service. And it's easy for me to look at guys and think, man, I bet you want to be a preacher someday. And the guy said, no. No, it's not my job to tell you what God's called you to do. That's between you and the Lord. And you pray about it. But it is my job to encourage you to use the gifts God has given you for his glory. Uh, By the way, God doesn't call us all to be preachers, but he calls us all to preach. God doesn't call us all to be evangelists, but he calls us all to evangelize. So if you're a carpenter like John, I say hammer and nails. I don't even think you guys do that anymore. Now you've got the, the gun and stuff like that. You don't want to put one of those things in my hands. Um, but, uh, but even when John's not ministering here, He knows. He's representing Jesus on the job site, okay? But the, use the gifts God has given you uh, to serve others. It's servant leadership. It's not um, power leadership. Um, look at uh, Matthew 4:19. Just two more verses, one from Matthew, one from Mark. Matthew four. So we're, we're not to be in the power into the power leadership. We don't step on others. We lead by serving others. If you want to be first in God's kingdom, you must be the servant of all. We should follow Jesus in His example of servant leadership. All Christians should be trained to be servant leaders. But Matthew four nineteen. Then he, that's Jesus, said to them, follow me. Do you want to follow Jesus? Follow me, and I will make you fish. He didn't say that. Okay? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Okay? God has called us. He saves us, but when he saves us, he calls us to serve in his kingdom. There's no spectators in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is filled with warriors, with spiritual warriors. And finally Mark chapter eight and verse 34. When he Mark 8:34, when he, that's Jesus had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me. So if you desire to follow Jesus, you've got, you've got to listen to this. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That means put your own desires and sometimes your own needs on the shelf. Let him deny himself and take up his cross each one of us has a cross. Each one of us is on a mission from God. Non-believing psychologists, if you tell them you're on a mission from God, they'll tell you you're crazy. But a good biblical Christian counselor, if you tell them you're not on a mission from God, they'll tell you you're crazy. Okay? You've got to pick up that cross. Now, with, with some of us, that cross is going to involve a lot of suffering. With some of us, it's going to involve a little bit of suffering. But you got to do what God's called you to do regardless of whether the world cheers you on or if the world beats you. You know, I was asked from people who got tired of some of the churches in Tacoma and came and started visiting our church, they asked what my stance on homosexuality is. And I said, well, I, I love homosexuals, I love everybody, but it's a horrible sin before God. And so I would encourage the person to leave their life a sin and turn their life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I don't care if the government tells me to stop calling homosexuality a sin. It's like, hey, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I got to do what I got to do. I got to preach Jesus. And so if the government doesn't like that, if they can find me, um, they can imprison me, they can kill me, whatever, but I got to preach Jesus. I'm not gonna, I don't go to CNN to figure out what's right and what's wrong. Okay? God has spoken to us uh, in his word. And, uh, and so you've got to be all that God's called you to be. And if that means you get persecuted for it, so be it. It comes with the turf. Whenever you suffer for the cause of righteousness, it gives you an opportunity to be like Jesus. Whenever you're falsely accused, it gives you an opportunity to be like Jesus. Whenever you serve for the cause of God's kingdom, it gives you an opportunity to be like Jesus. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, put your own needs on a a shelf, take up the cross, whatever that mission the Lord's given you, and follow me, follow Jesus in the path of obedience. And so uh, we need to pick up our cross deny our sinful desires, follow Jesus, and as we do that, we're going to be leading others. But we've got to be servant leaders um, who serve those, those that God has called you to lead, lead. You have got to serve them. Use the gifts God has given you. But think of yourself as their servant, not as someone who's going to exercise power over others. Let's close uh, with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I just thank you, Lord, that there's still people in Kitsap County and throughout the state and the, the country and the world that love you and love your word. And so I just pray, Lord, that uh, we would take it to heart, that we would be servant leaders who would speak the truth in love, and would use the gifts, the spiritual gifts and the talents you've given us and the knowledge you've given us that we would use these gifts to serve others, that we would be servant leaders like your son, uh, the Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, I, I just pray each and every one of us here would just acknowledge we were, none of us are perfect. There is a God... There is such a thing as right and wrong and we've all done the wrong. And so it's my prayer, Lord, that each and every one of us would acknowledge that we're sinners and would trust in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation, knowing that he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. For those of us who believe, I pray, Lord, that we would long to be leaders but we would long to be servant leaders, that we would serve people out of love and use the gifts that you've given us to serve them. We just pray, Lord, that you receive all the glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.